You're listening to a podcast by Hip Fee Hype, where we discuss new ideas around housing, sustainability, and climate action to explore ways to support the sustainable growth of our cities and regions. I'm Laura Phillips, and I'm the head of urban advocacy at Hip Fee Hype. Hip Fee Hype is an entrepreneurial group of businesses that are working to resolve more sustainable, more socially responsible, and more intuitive solutions to our cities. Local communities are and will continue to be on the front lines of responding to the effects of climate change. Beyond Zero Emissions produce independent research solutions demonstrating that a zero emissions Australia is achievable and affordable right now. Through their Zero Carbon Communities program, they provide support and resources to empower local communities to reduce their emissions and in doing so creating jobs and supporting local economies. Today, I sit down with Kate Nicolazzo, Better Cities and Regions Associate at Hit Hype, and Imogen Jubb, National Manager of the Zero Carbon Communities Program at Beyond Zero Emissions, to discuss how local communities are working to reduce their emissions and forging a sustainable future. Kate, over to you. Thanks, Laura. Um, Imogen, Beyond Zero Emissions has been in this space for, for a really long time and we're really excited to, to talk to you about what, what's been happening in the Zero Carbon Communities Program. I thought we could just dive right in and if you could start telling us about some of the sorts of pathways that you're seeing being forged by local communities across Australia, what, what are some of the really exciting things that we're starting to see come through? Well, it's been a really um, amazing time the last six months in this space. I guess COVID has meant that there's been lots of green stimulus work going on. And so BZD put out their Million Jobs Plan, which has launched a lot of new interest in the work that we're doing at local level. And then also we partnered with the ABC Fight for Planet A show, which also promoted a lot of interest around community level actions that people want to take. And I guess the COVID scenario around that all of the actions that you take to reduce emissions have multiple positive benefits across the community in lots of different ways. And I think that's becoming clearer and clearer as well. The actions create jobs, they save you money, they build new infrastructure, they build social capital in connecting people with each other and building community, they engage civic engagement around democracy. And so really there's reason to do this stuff without reducing emissions. But the fact that it tackles climate and also improves the resilience of your community is a really powerful um, motivator for local people to get involved. So we've seen a lot of growth in the program over the last little while. So we now have over 100 communities who've signed up. It's really powerful to see that there are communities all around Australia who want to see this action happen. Some of the work that we've been doing primarily with, with local government, looking at climate emergency responses or, or climate adaptation and mitigation responses more broadly, we're certainly seeing that the, the context of responding to, to the climate crisis, people are recognising that it, it does go across, you know, a multitude of sectors or, or interests, sort of bringing, bringing the economy in has been a really critical reflection, I guess, in terms of, you know, economic development at, at a local community level. Is that is that a really critical hook in the in the work that communities are doing in the, in the grassroots, building that local economic resilience? I think it's really important to them, and the more benefits we can demonstrate around that scale, is it's great. People put their hand up for this work because they care about their communities and they care about the people who live in them, and they want to see them thrive. And we can help. We can thrive in this transition in Australia. We are super lucky. We have amazing resources at our disposal to help us really reap amazing economic benefits if we put the plans in place to achieve it. And I think that applies particularly in regional and rural communities. 
10 years ago, so it was all around the costs of taking action. I think now people see that it's actually around the rewards of taking action. So we know that working together to to build a plan and a vision, I guess, for what a zero carbon community and future can look like is is really important and it gives us that roadmap. I guess the meat is really in the implementation. In the the time that you've been managing the program, have you seen some really great outcomes from, from that planning work that communities have been doing that you could share? Yeah, I think it takes a bit of time. So I think the outcomes are starting to come forward. So for example, the Nilimbit communities have been working really closely with their council on a a solar plant. And so that's kind of at tender stage. The Byron community has been doing heaps of work around tree planting and collecting resources in the community and building that kind of community engagement. There are other groups who are tackling this in different ways. I think we're really taking this as a community-led initiative. So some are really keen on pathways and strategies, some are really keen on community engagement, some are, they all work differently and we want to support them according to their own needs and their own differences. And they also have different capacity. So the plans, I think, are still in their infancy, really, around this sort of stuff. But the ambition and the targets and the steps to take are becoming um, clearer and clearer. And as we go forward, we're really trying to provide resources that make it faster and easier and a networked effect so that communities can do this together and not feel like they're in their own little bubbles working at it on their own. But certainly there are more and more renewable projects happening all across the country. It's hard to keep up with the kind of scale that that's at and the opportunities for renewable energy industrial precincts across the community are also there for community scale batteries and other kinds of storage for microgrids for retrofits there are all these opportunities but making them really accessible and at operator operatable at scale is still a bit of a work in progress so I mentioned before we've been working mostly with local councils and often seen a little bit more of a top-down approach to, to developing these sorts of visions and, and plans for a, a climate response or a zero-carbon future. What, do, what are you seeing as really particularly great examples of local councils supporting their, their local communities to kind of uh, undertake this work? Because it, it's a really critical uh, part of the mix for both for both groups to, to sort of work together really productively. Have you seen any particularly great examples? Yeah, there's lots of great collaboration. I think you've kind of got different ends of the scale where the community and council really work step together, which is fantastic. And where I live in Moreland and in, in the north of Melbourne, there's a lot of councils who are doing that work really well. So Darabin, Moreland, Yarra. Certainly it's one of the actions that a lot of our communities take is working with their local council and getting them engaged if they're not already, and then working in partnership with them. So there's other examples around Melbourne, around Port Phillip and Glen Ira and Brimbank and all sorts of communities around here that are doing that work really, really well. And I think it's helped in Victoria through the Greenhouse Alliances, which provide, you know, structure and resources to help help that process along. Certainly there are other examples like Noosa who work really closely together with the council and the community and set up great resources as a result. It depends where your council's at. So, and it depends on the community intention and the community capability as well. But it's ideal if you're working together. Some communities also have also gone, well, it's not working well with our community. What can we do to get better people on board? Really encouraging to see the community and the council get engaged together. Again, because of that multiple benefit component too, because 
if you're looking at emissions, you can also think about things like social housing and you can also think about things like better transport and the health implications and, you know, what to do if there is some kind of crazy disaster like the bushfires we've seen or big floods or big hailstorms or air pollution that means you can't get out of your house for a month. All these things we're starting to see emerging and that networks of how to work with your council and have that local-led solutions really makes a big difference to the outcomes for your community. The local government review that Beyond Zero Emissions conducted in 2018 sort of highlighted, I guess, how far local governments have moved in terms of taking up the the leadership role um, at at any level of government across Australia on climate action. Even in the last two years since that was published, have you you seen a shift in, in, in the sector? We're actually looking at doing that review again right now. So we have a team of volunteers who are currently trawling through every council website across Australia to see what information has changed. So we don't have that that data yet, but we'll be looking to publish it soon. At the time um, when we did it, which was, it was published in 2018, but we did the research late 2017. At the time, 7% of Australian councils had a community-wide target and we're hoping that number's increased. I think that it really is becoming clear that councils see that their role is not just around council operations, that their role is around leading the community, increasingly around advocacy to help push the buttons around policies that we're seeing what the limits are around policy and Again, having that we need this policy to change to enable this action that we can then take is a really powerful force as well. We are certainly seeing in some of the work that we've been doing with with local councils, there's been a shift in in the last few years with with those sort of community-based targets away from kind of naming them as really aspirational aspirational targets to to really wanting to put some some hard numbers behind it and understand how the council actually supports the community to, to reach those carbon reduction targets, which is a really exciting and I think quite a big shift in the way that that, that thinking is happening. Yeah, and I mean, we released our snapshot tool nationally earlier this year as well. And I guess that puts the scale of the problem in the hands of both community and council, because you can see where your emissions come from and you can see how large they are. And the task is really to get those to zero as quickly as possible. And finding the biggest bang for your buck actions and understanding those, and they're different in different communities, but the opportunities around industrial precincts and reducing emissions for your local industry, for your commercial operators around how does the community work with the local business owners to actually change their expectations and um, support them to take actions. And also things around land use. There are many, many actions around land use that can be taken, but how do you do it at scale and how do you do it in a way that is really specific to the local environment? There are community champions leading this work and if we can elevate them so that those learnings can be shared across different communities. Probably a really good moment to sort of reflect on because there's some really great resources on the Zero Carbon on the zero carbon Communities section of the Beyond Zero Emissions page, but do you want to just tell us a little bit about how, how you support? So if there are community members listening who'd like to understand understand where, where they can kind of start and how they um, start to think about doing this within their local community. It'd be great to hear a little bit from you about that journey. Yeah, so we provide support and resources to communities. As we've grown, we can't, we can't have close relationships with all of them, but we are providing as much systemic support as we possibly can. 
we have a guide on our website, which is a great place to start, and it kind of outlines nine key steps involved to get to zero emissions, including community engagement, understanding what your emissions are, working with your council or engaging your council to see where they're at, finding projects that are of interest to your community, looking at storytelling, so you, you normalise this behaviour across your community and you know, also around neighbouring communities. And then also looking at investment. So how do you actually get money to the projects that, that you identify as being suitable in your local area? So that investment one's really interesting. We formed an investment reference group a few years ago and we have some great representation from different investors, from credit unions to big banks to big, invest, big, big super funds and other impact investors. And they all want to support these kinds of projects. But there are barriers to enabling that. And so one of the pieces we're working on is how do you break down those barriers around the expectation of return and, you know, it's not fair on communities to put in all of the work around feasibility studies. It's like how do you actually unblock these things so you can get a project ready to go and match the money to it. So that's interesting work. And in the Million Jobs Project proposal we looked at, we actually went to the communities and said, what are the projects that you're interested in? Tell us about them. And we now have a database of over 700 different projects from concept to completed. And we're using that to inform the next steps around how to unblock this kind of work. We also produced a local government review a little while ago and then produced a snapshot tool, which again takes away the step of figuring out your baseline emissions. So it it really means what when we first started this, it took three months or more even to get your yeah, electricity data from your local providers. Yeah. We've now made that something you can get at the press of a button. We also have a shared folder of resources that we provide to people when they sign up and that has a whole lot of information in it on not only those steps, but also all the different sectors. So information around transport, information on land use, on industry and waste and the stationary energy sector including buildings and retrofits and making homes more comfortable and also commercial kind of retrofits. And we've just kicked off a webinar series. So we really want to network communities with each other because they can learn faster from each other probably than they can you know, by going up to us and back down again. So we had about 30 different communities on our webinar a few weeks ago, which was really exciting. And you know, so they can now start sharing resources between each other. And we also produce things like website templates. So when communities are starting out like this, they you know, have to figure out those steps themselves. They can, you can have resources that are ready to go for your community engagement. So there's heaps of stuff available if people are interested, just jump on our website and sign up and we'll get you connected. Um, we touched a little bit on how local councils in particular can kind of support this work and, and connect, I guess, a bit better with, with communities. Are you, what are your thoughts on how that's sort of being received at a, a lot of our state governments have zero carbon targets usually by 2050, but obviously we don't have that target federally yet. Is this kind of community-led action being responded to by state governments anywhere across the, across the country? We haven't put a great deal of focus on state governments today. I guess when this was set up, there, there were quite a few grants available through state government, but as a model, it's hard for communities to use grants as a way to progress because they're just really time consuming. They only go to a handful of communities. Oh, I just didn't feel like it was a, a way that you could see 
hundreds of communities progress at scale, it, it didn't seem like the right fit. So we really looked at like how can they do this on their own, which I guess is why the investment space is so important, because if you can get money to the projects, then they will can be aggregated and they can be done at scale. It's a way to do it without necessarily having state or federal government support. That said, there's still a lot of room for their participation, I think. And again, in terms of supporting communities to find the solutions that do work for the rest of your state, I think it's a really valuable way for states to be involved. And we have had state government support from New South Wales, Victoria, now Queensland as well, and some South Australian local government councils around enabling that resource to be unlocked for their communities. So that's been really great as well. It's sort of been a model of chipping in and unlocking the resource for everyone to see that kind of model progress so that the tool can become more and more useful over time. Imogen, we touched a little bit on the fact that the COVID pandemics, you know, kind of created quite a lot of interest and energy around the Zero Carbon Communities Program. But I'm just curious about um, your perspective on whether you think the, the pandemic is, you know, sort of going to accelerate or potentially hold back our progress towards a zero carbon future. At the moment, I feel like it's accelerating it. It's, it's hard to see how these things play out, but there's certainly a really strong awareness that the there's a need for things to change, that there's a need to support communities throughout this time. It's really apparent that jobs are really important and that it's important to support people in finding jobs and that the government at all levels has a role in creating those. And it is very clear that renewable energy and other zero emissions projects create jobs and save your community money. So why on earth wouldn't you <laughs> engage in this kind of space? There is also absolute on-the-ground support for this kind of work. Communities want to see this change happen. They want to run on renewable energies. They want to support their local community. They want to find local jobs. They want to see their environment thrive. They want to find ways to keep rivers flowing and keep the air clean and make sure that you can go outside in summer so it's not too hot or that you're not feeling threatened or insecure because of pending emergencies. So... I feel like that that position will only grow and as the costs come down and as the demand increases and as the projects are better understood and as organisations like BZD and others in this space make it easier and easier to understand what role you can play, I think we'll see more and more projects happening across the country and they can happen everywhere, which is just that's awesome too. It's not something that's specific to a specific location. You can see these happening in the central deserts and you can see them that they apply to all sorts of communities. So I really feel like there are only benefits to come from it. And as the communities own those solutions and support the projects that they think are the most relevant, that'll be great. We are starting to do some work at the moment in the community health sector and looking at what the role for community health is in, in terms of climate action. And in, in an interview yesterday, sort of having a conversation about the fact that climate change and the response to and the need to kind of rebuild our future is not being seen as a fringe or environmental issue anymore. We all understand it's not sitting in a silo. It actually cuts across every element of our lives. And I think from my perspective, just if I allowed a personal reflection, I think that one of the things that 
the COVID pandemic has demonstrated is exactly that, that these sorts of things, this kind of change and upheaval cuts across all elements of our lives. And that's sort of, that's where climate change sits as well. So the, the opportunity is for this, this sort of, you know, more equitable zero carbon future is very exciting. Yeah, and we've also really seen how how much we need our communities to get through these kinds of trying times and how much we miss them when we can't have access to them. <laughs> it's really, really critical. That seems like the perfect kind of moment to, to end on that last question that I had, which was around just what you're feeling optimistic about. So I think we've touched on some really exciting things, but if we could just, just close out with, with a reflection on that, that'd be great. Yeah, well, I guess people's priorities have shifted. They, their feeling of family and community and the people around them who support them is really seen as absolutely critical, whereas maybe it was taken for granted a little bit before. I was listening to Jacinta Parsons on, on Tuesday afternoon and she was having a discussion with an academic and he was talking about just how how exciting the kind of concept of, of the emerging, for me in terms of optimism, it's the emerging kind of leadership coming from young people as well. And I think that that's the other thing that the community-led responses can do is actually empower and let our young people lead and that potentially whilst I would like to still be in the category of being a young person I certainly don't sit there anymore but one of the best things that we can do is find ways to lift up our young people in response to this I think that that's certainly for me where I'm I'm feeling optimistic you know 10 years time or other times in the century it will seem incomprehensible that we've done things that we're doing now but the the new way of doing things is on the horizon and it's really exciting to be able to see it any last words of advice for either any community members who want to sort of start getting involved in in this kind of action or potential potential partners who'd like to start realizing some of those those visions potentially those investment opportunities Imogen yeah so if you're an investor who wants to see zero emissions projects happen get in touch and we um, can connect you with the investment reference group if you're a person anywhere who would like to see more change at the local level, jump on our website and get involved. And I just, I, I think it's really empowering and really exciting for people to find their tribe. And zero carbon communities is one kind of tribe around people who care about this stuff. Really smart, really connected, really grounded, really want to see practical actions happen. So you can, our website actually shows the communities around the country so you can get in touch directly if there's one locally to you or you can get in touch with us and see what we can do to help you start right thanks very much thank you very much <laughs>